Acts chapter 15. We started reading this last week, and I'm going to start at verse 22 to the end of the chapter there. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from that, from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when, they sent them, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I'd like to uh, speak this morning on this passage and see the connection of this last section, verse 36, through the end of the chapter, how it is connected with the rest of the chapter. So I pray to God to give us insight, encourage our hearts through the preaching of his word today. Let's bow for a word of prayer. After prayer, a choir comes, and then the preaching of God's word from this passage. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to come here today. We thank you for um, bringing um, us together where we can worship you, where we can fellowship, where we can hear your word. We can be encouraged by the presence of your saints. 
We pray, Lord, that uh, you would uh, challenge our hearts through your word, encourage us, uh, motivate us, Lord, to be busy, be doing the work that you've called us to let nothing interrupt or distract us from the message of being witnesses to who Jesus is. And that, in other words, giving the gospel out to those who we come in contact with so they can hear that gospel, be saved. Their lives can be turned to honoring you and serving you diligently. We pray this now uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. On a hill called Calvary, there stands an endless mercy tree. Every broken, weary soul, find your rest and be made whole. Stripes of blood that stain its frame. Shed to wash away our shame From the scars pure love released Salvation by the mercy tree In the sky between two thieves Hung the blameless Prince of Peace Bruised and battered, scarred and scorned, his sacred head pierced by our thorns. But it is finished, was his cry. The perfect lamb was crucified, his sacrifice our victory our savior chose the mercy tree oh hope went dark that violent day the whole earth quaked at love's display Three days silent in the ground, this body born for heaven's crown. opened up the grave he's alive Acts 15 section that we're on now is connected in its entirety the first part of that talks about the disagreement that existed among believers about the gospel. Paul and Barnabas 
address that disagreement. There were individuals from Judea who were coming up to the church in Antioch and saying that people had to be circumcised in order to be saved, that they ought to be following the law of Moses. And Barnabas and Paul rightly addressed that. They confronted that head on. They did not ignore it. They did not let it linger. Uh, they addressed it and they challenged it. They challenged it to a point and they went even to the apostles back in Jerusalem and uh, spoke to them about this issue so that the gospel could be made clear and um, that any challenge to the gospel which would be a, 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 a false teaching, should be addressed. And they did just that. We have seen in Acts just a pattern of the gospel going out. And as the gospel goes out, there's always challenges to the gospel. There's always something that is going to try to pervert the gospel or prevent it from being effective. And so we, we see that in this uh, book of Acts, and we, we see it in our lives all the time. When you, uh, first of all, we recognize that this is the mission that Jesus has left with his followers, and that is to be witnesses to him everywhere they go to, until we spread this gospel throughout the face of the whole earth. That's Jesus' mission to us, and we're still on that mission today. I don't know if you noticed, but there's people in Milwaukee that need to be saved. You may not have come across. Maybe you live in one of those neighborhoods where you don't have any issues at all. You don't see the effects or the impact of sin at all. Maybe the news reports you watch are different than the ones that I watch, and you don't see that issue. You don't see every day in your face that the problem is a sin issue, and the only solution to sin is Jesus transforming our lives by paying for our sin, transferring our sins from us to him when we trust in him, paying for that sin fully and extending to us eternal life and forgiveness of sin and the Holy Spirit so that we can live the way that he calls us to live. That's the solution to the sin issue that we have. And so it's the gospel that needs to be preached today. Not some emphasis on, on social justice, not some emphasis on education, not some emphasis on the economy or some emphasis on, uh, uh, on any of these things that are spoken of. The bottom line is we need the gospel. The also truth there is that the gospel is not going to be accepted by every person. And so we're not going to see God's kingdom until Christ comes and judges all sin. So we're going to be dealing with sin for a long time. We won't see the complete solution for that until Christ comes. And so what that means is this. We're going to be wrestling with evil all of our days. Every time we try to present the God's solution to sin, we're going to, have a, a, we're going to have a challenge from Satan. I can promise you that. Amen. Satan will butt up against and challenge everything. What we see in Acts is we see those challenges. Everywhere the gospel goes out, we see some kind of challenge, okay? Do, do, do you remember uh, um, 
It was, it was their mission to get the gospel out. And so in Acts chapter uh, 3, uh, Peter and John are on, on going to the temple at the hour of prayer, and there's a man there who was lame, and they healed that man. And, and uh, once the, the impact of that was the people around them were amazed. They heard the gospel. But what happened after that is the rulers in that, in that area said, hey, we can't, we can't have this. We can't have folks just giving gospel like that and saving people and, 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 and people getting healed. We got to arrest these folks. And they arrested them. They arrested Peter and, 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 and John and put them in prison. Uh, so when the gospel goes out, the impact, we're going to see Satan react as well. We see that all the way through. Not only Satan reacting through, through those people um, who, who, who could be recipients of the gospel, uh, but we see within the church itself, as the church begins to develop, going on to now Acts chapter 5, remember what happened there is we see uh, uh, within the church, we see like what I call a fake gospel. People acting like they're really committed to God. And so we see Satan stirring up in the church opposition to the gospel going out. Ananias and Sapphira were there and they act like they were devoted to God. In reality, they were just trying to puff themselves up to be something, to be uh, applauded by the people. And God judged that severely. But I want you to notice what happened right after that. Can you turn with me to Acts chapter 5? What happened after uh, um, Ananias and Sapphira were judged by God? It says, verse 10, you know, Peter had addressed uh, um, Sapphira. He says, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. In other words, when this happened, great fear came. And you would think, well, maybe this is going to be something that hinders people from coming and hearing the gospel. But no, exact opposite. Verse 12, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostle. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, get it, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. As a result of, of, of the gospel going out in a powerful witness, phonyism was addressed. People, genuine people, were coming to the Lord more than ever. I want you to see that as the gospel goes out, Satan plans his attack, and God has a counterattack, and his people continue getting the gospel out. We continue to persevere in light of the trials, the challenges, the opposition that comes to the gospel. In chapter 6, you see opposition uh, to the gospel, or a challenge to the gospel. There was some, a little uh, discord, I guess, amongst the people. Not everybody was being ministered to. Uh, they felt like some, some things needed to be changed. And instead of that being a devastation to the church, it was a time when godly men were appointed uh, from God uh, by the apostles to do the work so that the apostles could 
focus on the gospel in preaching and teaching the word. So what could have happened as as a uh, as a seed of discord, in, in, in fact, was dealt with by God so that the gospel would continue and the focus would continue to be on the gospel. As a result, uh, these men, we see the character of them in Acts chapter 7 with men like Stephen who, who was willing to lay down his life for the gospel. And so, in fact, the gospel just continues and it flourishes. Uh, and so we, we see that pattern. I won't take time to, to, to point out every part of that pattern. But if you're reading through Acts uh, during the week, if you're meditating on what's been preached about and what, what the word of God is saying in Acts, you're starting to see this pattern that, yes, they fulfill in the plan of, of Jesus to be witnesses. Yes, there's opposition to that. But God blesses and they persevere and the gospel continues to go out. That's the pattern that we should notice in Acts. Now, we get to Acts chapter 15, and we see another type of, of uh, 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 obstacle being placed before the gospel. And, and uh, we have, false, we, we have false, uh, a false gospel uh, being uh, uh, formed, and we see the apostles addressing that. And as a result of addressing that, they clarify what the gospel really says. And uh, the, so the Gentiles are blessed as a result of that. Now we get to verse 36 in Acts 15. Before 36, you, you see that they took this news to the church at Antioch. Um, and look at the impact of that. Verse 33. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So it kind of ends on this blessing and growth scenario, right? That the challenge has been met. Paul and Barnabas continue in Antioch, strengthening the believers, teaching, preaching the gospel, strengthening the church there. And so we, we see good, and then we expect, what, something else to happen, right? And that's exactly what happens in verse 36. After some days, Paul and Barnabas, Paul, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. We see a desire for follow-up mission by Paul and Barnabas. It's a good desire. It's something that God would want them to do. But then it turns into disagreement. Disagreement is over this young man named John, surnamed Mark. We know him in the, in the, the New Testament as the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Here is John there. And Paul or Barnabas wants to take him and add him to the team as they go out the second time to revisit everybody. And Paul objects to that. Paul does not want to take him. So there is clear discord. Sometimes there's nothing more discouraging than discord in the family. You know, you expect to get a certain amount of it outside. But when it comes in the family, it really kind of hits home sometimes. So there is a reason why 
we have discord in a family and why Satan uses it as a tool often because there is nothing more discouraging than not getting along with the people you're closely tied to. If you don't have peace at home, where do you go, right? <laughs> if, if you come to church and you expect to be encouraged, but there is discord there, that, that is something that, that can really shake us up some. I don't know how long you've been a believer, but I would venture to say, I know I've heard it oftentimes, you probably know someone or maybe experienced it yourself when you were discouraged because of something that happened in church. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you are that person, but it's a common experience because Satan knows one of the greatest ways to get at us is to impact the relationships we have in church. Now, some have gone so far to say, that's why I don't go to church no more. And it, I have seen that way too often, way more than I'd like. It's people who call themselves believers and, in fact, maybe true believers, but they have become so, uh, um, so dissatisfied. And so rattled by the things that they have experienced that they want to say, I, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just sick of it. Then COVID comes along and gives people excuses not to go to church. And then now we're in that kind of post-COVID time when we should be coming back and filling our churches. And we find that people are just kind of still staying away. And that's one of the big excuses. You know, well, there's so much nonsense going on. I, I just didn't want to be bothered. In this message today, I hope you hear and are encouraged by what God is doing in spite of the discord that happens. A couple of things. First of all, is this. This is a true discord that Paul and Barnabas have. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's real. Disagreement and discord is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Conflict. We don't like it. Can't we just all get along, you know? We, we, we say that because it would be sweet if that was to happen. We try to avoid it. What I said before, some people have tried to avoid conflict by not coming to church at all. That's their way of dealing with it. But, and we, we, I get it. It's uncomfortable. We don't like dealing with it. But the other thing is discord and disagreements are inevitable. Why? Because we're sinners. We all have that sin nature. And we're going to address or come across some discord. You know what it's like? It's, 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 it's like a marriage relationship that's not always in a honeymoon phase. Sometimes you got to come back from the honeymoon, come back from the hotel, where you had somebody clean your room, somebody cook your food, and you, you had all activity that was fun activity, exciting activity, and sometimes you got to come home to real life. 
And you got to deal with it. And so discord is something that is inevitable, even within ourselves. You know, just this week, I, I, I was eating something and my tongue had discord with my teeth. <laughs> and so my teeth chopped down on my tongue and my tongue didn't appreciate that. And it was kind of holding back from the teeth and not wanting to get close to the teeth, not cooperating with the teeth. And it's like, man, if you're going to chomp on me like that, all I'm trying to do is range the food and do stuff. And, and there you go just biting on me. We have discord within our own bodies sometimes. Conflict. Disharmony. In other words, we're out of sync. Discord is inevitable because of that. We tend to be out of sync. You ever notice that when you're in sync, somebody else is out of sync? When they in sync, you out of sync? It's, 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 it's like it's always going on. Look, it's part of the relationship battle that we face, and so we must, in fact, face it and deal with it. And I want you to see what God would have us to understand concerning that. So discord, disagreements are uncomfortable. They're inevitable. They are indeed challenging. Some people today say, well, you know, that's why I ain't going to get married. Because I see everybody married having trouble and they're breaking up and there's divorce and there's issue after issue after issue. And I say to that, of course there are issues. Whenever there's a relationship, there's going to be challenges and discord. You have to know what God's plan and what his purpose and what his provision is for us so that we can deal in those discords. And, and here's the thing that I, that I hope you get. And this is, this is my point here. Discord. And disagreement can be beneficial. What do I mean by that? I ask myself, why is this in chapter 15? This disagreement that Paul and Barnabas have, why does it come to us? Why does the writer, why does the Holy Spirit use this in his word to bring it to us right here in Acts 15? We know the purpose of Acts is that, that the believers are to be witnesses of Christ, and this witness is to, is to start in Jerusalem and expand throughout the whole world, and we see them doing just that, and all of a sudden now they want to do what God called them to do, and they got this discord. Why is that? I, I don't think that the point of this account is to have us track with Paul or with Barnabas. Have Barnabas have a side with one or the other to say one is right clearly and one is wrong. And, and I get frustrated. I hear theologians. That's all they want to talk about. Which one was right and which one was wrong. You miss the point. You miss the point. What is the point? I don't think it was his point to show us who was right and who was wrong. His point is to show us that discord happens. And look what happens as a result of it. In other words, look at how God can take a negative and turn it into a positive. 
In other words, there is nothing that that hinders and prevents God from accomplishing the task that he has, including the discord that we might have with one another. I want to caution you. God is going to accomplish his purpose. The question is, is he going to use you or not? So you can let discord get you in the wrong frame of mind and not be used to God. God's going to accomplish his purpose. Are you going to be a part of it or not? So the purpose of this, this account is to show us that discord happens in the church and God, in fact, can use it for his glory to go on and accomplish his purpose. So we don't have to be distraught, we don't have to be discouraged, and we don't have to attitude, that's why I don't go to church no more. No, I say, go to church, encounter, interact, and when this discord comes, know that God has the provision and the power to allow his purpose to continue in spite of it. And it shows the glory of God and the power and the magnificence of God who will accomplish his task. Nothing overcomes the gospel. I want you to see that. Nothing overcomes the gospel. John chapter 1 says this, Jesus was that light and the light has come into the world and, and, and it has overcome darkness. It overcomes darkness. Everywhere that light comes, it does that. Nothing can overcome the gospel. Jesus said it in Matthew 16 this way when he talked to Peter. You're Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Perhaps what he meant by gates, gates was a place, it was the entrance to the city, but it was a place where the powerful and the important people governed. He is saying the power of this world will not prevail over my kingdom, over my purpose, and over my gospel. Satan's methods and his means and his, his uh, individual plans and his purposes will not overpower God. God is not subject to that. God is not like, oh, man, now COVID, I can't do what I want to do. I can't get people to church. I can't get the gospel out. God is not, he, 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 he's not cornered like that. He is not uh, uh, limited by man's wickedness, sinfulness, and even the discord that happens in the church. He will accomplish his purpose. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? God uses disagreement and discord in several ways. I can see an instance here where he uses it to challenge and correct us intellectually. In Acts 15, the challenge came up about the argument. It forced the question of what is the gospel? What must one do to be saved? 
Which argument is sound? Is it, is, is it the argument that's coming from Paul and Barnabas in the early part of Acts 15? Or is it the argument that's coming from the believers from Judea and the believers who were tied with the Pharisees? It forces people to think and discern and to make a decision. Challenge can correct us biblically and spiritually. It forces us to think, what does the Bible say? What does the, what does the Old Testament contribute to this discussion? I'm thinking again, the first part of Acts 15, and we see that James brought in, he says, look, what's happened here, what's happened with Peter, what's happened with Paul and Barnabas is in one accord with what God has spoken through the prophets of the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say? It bears uh, 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 it, it shows us what God's purpose was. And so that can challenge us biblically to, to look at and to think about what is God's purpose for his people? What does he desire for the Jews? Uh, what do, does he desire them to do and what does he desire them to be? Makes me think of Psalm 67. Can we turn there real quick? Preach that message many times. Psalm 67. You think about what is God's purpose for the Jews? What is God's purpose for the Gentile? It says in Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us. It's like the Jews that are speaking there. We're God's special people. May God bless us and treat us good and, and enrich us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. But for what purpose? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Circle that word nations in your mind. The purpose that God has in blessing his special people is for them to be a light to all others. In other words, he's using them as a vessel, as a tool to reach the world. He says in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Israel, but on earth, right? Your saving power among all nations, not just the Jewish people, but all nations, all people groups. God is using his people to reach the world. It's the same way New Testament people, God used his people group, the church, to reach the world. So we don't break our arms, pat ourselves on the back, say we're the special call people of God, and that's it. And that's God's fulfilled his purpose. No, his purpose in you and me is to spread and get the gospel out to everybody else so he can choose his people from among all the nations. And then he says in verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. I always question why is people's plural there? <laughs> because he's talking about all the people's groups, all the people groups, not, not just Jews, but all of created mankind. So disagreements, challenges, conflicts can help us discern God's purpose as it did in this first part of Acts chapter 15. But it can also challenge and correct us socially. In other words, it will force us to look at how we interact with each other. When we have disagreements now, how do we treat each other? Do we confront? Do we challenge? Do we avoid? Or do we flee? 
What should our attitude be towards each other? In the first conflict, we recognize in the early part of Acts 15, they were dealing with um, this challenge within the church. And so there was an extent to where it was coming from believers. And so they couldn't treat those who they disagreed with as enemies. They disagreed with them, but they couldn't treat them as enemies. So it is with the second challenge. Paul and Barnabas, who were partners, are now in disagreement. And, and, and how are they to think of each other? Not enemies, but brothers in Christ. It challenges us how we are to consider each other and interact with each other. When we're all getting along, that's not a challenge at all. You know, you have a good time, you throw some food in the mix, and we all can get along. As long as enough food for all of us, right? We don't have a problem then. But when things get rough now, we're challenged. How do you really think of your brother? Why did he get to get in line before you? <laughs> How do you really feel about him now? You see, that's, that's being brought out. It's being exposed so God can purify it in us. So our interactions, our social interactions with each, with each other. How do we engage and debate with one another? I think that's a huge thing. I, I was going to look at it. I will look at a few verses in, in Proverbs that really give us some insight and some wisdom with how to deal with each other. I wrote a, um, a, um, a marriage counseling uh, lesson from Proverbs chapter 15 because it deals with the tongue. And it deals with how to deal with when we have disagreements uh, with each other, disagreements with, with those who we're connected to, disagreements with those who we love. How do we deal with each other? And so if we don't have these conflicts, we never really have to use these tools. But sometimes those conflicts show us a need for us to deal or, or to use those tools, and we're strengthened and we grow as a result. So, so turn with me to Psalm, excuse me, to, to Proverbs uh, 15. We look at 15 and Proverbs 16, just a few tidbits there, and we'll see um, um, some, some of the uh, principles that God would have us to use as we come into conflict. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Very well said, right? If you want to deal with conflict, don't go in shouting. Don't go in with personal attacks. You're going to add to the problem instead of help correct it. But some other things here. I'm just going to look at verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So we can't just go in with all emotion. The hot-tempered person is going to stir it up. On the other hand, it says, He who is slow to anger quiets contention. In other words, in control of his own expressions of anger. That's a difficult thing. Which one of us has that mastered? No, I think we're in a process 
of mastering it, each one of us. I don't know that we can say that we've mastered it. Just when we say we master, God brings another conflict that just gets right up under our skin and, and shows us that we got some more growing to do. Proverbs, 8, Proverbs 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. That doesn't mention this in here, but in order to make an apt answer, you first got to listen. You first got to listen. Have you, have you ever gone into an argument with two people? The first thing is you got to get them to quiet down so they can actually listen to each other because they're way past the listening stage. <laughs> we said it quite often. While the one is speaking, the other one is reloading getting ready their ammunition of what they have to say instead of really listening to what is being said. I've, I've seen people, myself included, who have argued, and in reality, they're in agreement. They actually agree. When it comes all the way down to it, and then, then they argue about the little part that they disagree on. Find out it's actually quite small in some cases. The point here is let's listen to each other first. Let's learn how to listen. Listen is one of those skills that we practice the least. But we need the most. You realize you can't learn until you listen. Listening is a big topic in Proverbs itself. It talks a lot about the ability to listen. It, can I put it blunt? It says, it's a fool that don't listen. A wise person will listen, will gain insight, and gain understanding. So when we're in conflict, um, here's a skill that God would have us to do, to be able to answer each other properly, but to do that, we first have to listen. Then in verse 28, it says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So there is two different reactions. One is to actually think and to work through how I should respond and how I should answer back. And the other one is, is contrary to that is just, just say what you feel. Just let it go. Just, just speak. It's got to be said, just speak. But no, it says here, ponder what is to be said. Instead of just pour out, pour out what you say. And in chapter 16, verse 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. We have that natural uh, uh, way of thinking or inclination that we're right. But God ponders our attitude. In other words, you could be right in thinking or right in your argument, or wrong in your attitude. In verse 23 of Proverbs 16, it says this, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious, and he adds per persuasiveness to his lips. I like that. In chapter 18 of Proverbs, verse 2, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Again, it just focuses on listening. Let us listen. In other words, God is using some of our conflicts 
to reveal that inner nature in us. And not just reveal it to show it bad, but that we might work on it. Or he might, we might allow him to work on our character. If things are all going well, that's really not exposed. We think our game is good. I knew I was going to do this. Um, I was going to make a reference to the Packers game. <laughs> you, know, you think your team is set until they come into conflict and you realize we got a lot to, of work to do on special teams, right? Right? Isn't that, isn't that indicative of our lives? We think it's all right. We think we're set. We think everything is fine. I'm where I need to be. Until I come into conflict with another person, it exposes my weaknesses. Now, God is not exposing your weaknesses just to make you look bad. He's exposing your weakness because that's the first point in correcting them. He wants to correct them, and they won't get corrected until they're exposed. Now, they do hurt when they're exposed. It, it, is, it is hurtful. That, that's not a good feeling to, let it, to have it be out there and have it be known. But he's been doing that for a while. You just ignored it. He's been working on it for a while. You've just been ignoring it. And now he's bringing it uh, a kind of another session. And so he, he, he's working on us. He's speaking to our heart. Proverbs 18, verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Right? Saying, learn to listen and allow the other person to speak as well. I have that habit of just... Cutting, cutting off, cutting off. I got something to say. I know it's important. I already heard what you had to say. You don't need to keep saying it. Boom, I cut you off. But it says here, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Maybe there's something you haven't heard yet, or by listening again, you can, uh, you, you'll gain some insight, or simply just being courteous to the other person. And then in verse 17, the one who states his case first seems right, so the other comes and examines him. Isn't that the case? That's why it's wise to have counsels, uh, counselors with us. In other words, people who can help us. We state our case and we think that's all that needs to be said until we hear uh, from the other side. So these, these conflicts... This disagreement, this discord that we have, uh, is happening there in, in Acts chapter 15. It gives us opportunity to examine ourselves, that God might purify us. But, but here's the thing, I want to get back to this and, and, and bring this to a close. God is showing that even in conflict, he's in control. And his purpose is going to, is, is going to be accomplished. It's not going to be thwarted by what we're experiencing right now. Now, I'll, I'll put that, that uh, um, preliminary statement in that's important. God's work is going to continue. The question is, are you going to be involved in it? You can disqualify yourself and move yourself away from that process um, by your action and by your attitude. But here's the encouraging thing. His work, in fact, does continue. Let's go back to Acts chapter 16 and take a look at this. Verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, I could make a case for both Paul and, and, and Barnabas, couldn't you? 
Barnabas is called the son of consolation. And son of encouragement. He, he, he's brother encouragement. He, he sees a, a, a believer, a brother who needs to be encouraged. He wants to bring him into, uh, into ministry, into the battle. He wants to, to get him back up operating and, and, and on the field. That, that, that's Barnabas' point. And I can see Paul again. He says, that, wait a minute, that's a good thing to do, but we're going out in the war. We're going in, 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 to, to, to fight the war. I need somebody, you know, got my back. That's somebody who's going to turn around first, first point and quit. So get them ready, then send them along with me. It's kind of a false thing. Ain't got no time for experiments. We doing the real work here. So you can see both of them having a point, but that's not the point of who's right and who's wrong. It says here, verse uh, 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from each other. That's pretty strong. You, you can't get away from that. This, this conflict that they had was so strong, they could not or would not come to agreement. They had to decide to go separate ways. These two men were partnered together in ministry. Paul almost got killed in ministry working along with Silas. Excuse me, with Barnabas. We saw the things that happened to him in, in Lystra, after Antioch and, 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 and Derby, and those cities that they went through there. And so his partner during that time was Barnabas. And now, after battling in the trenches together, they, they have a, like a, what should be a minor disagreement, but they can't get past it. There arose a sharp disagreement. I'm glad the way the Bible writes, how God uses his word. He doesn't, um, he doesn't hide the truth from us. He, he shows us the real world. They were dealing with what was for them a very difficult issue. We would think it shouldn't be major at all, but it had become major now. They couldn't work together. It says, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, that's John, Mark, and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. Skip to verse 41. He went through, Cilicia, through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I believe when you have a disagreement like that, it's probably wrong, probably enough wrong on both sides of them having to separate. But the point here is that man's sin God uses to create two teams and not one. And that the gospel continues on in spite of their sin. God still allows his gospel to go out. Now that's not an excuse for their wrong or for their sin. It's the emphasis, the, the focus I want you to see is God. That he does not stop his gracious work to the gospel. Can you imagine the souls that are waiting to hear the gospel in these areas where God is going to send them? God does not send them a message saying, well, you know, I wanted to get the gospel, but these servants just won't get along. And so um, I'm having a little trouble at home. I'll get back to y'all in this salvation thing that, that comes through Christ and, and those who preach it. 
By the way, God uses human beings, sinful human beings like you and me to speak his truth. So we're going to come against conflict. The good thing, the encouraging thing is God will work through and in spite of everything that springs up to be opposing the gospel. And he will break through that and he will get the gospel where he wants it to go. And he will accomplish all that he chooses to accomplish in spite of our mess, in spite of Sweet Communion not being a perfect church, not having a perfect pastor, not having perfect members, he glorifies himself in a way that's just amazing to me and ought to be amazing to you too. Like, how does God do that? God, you are something else. You can use this and accomplish your purpose. That causes me to not be discouraged in my bed at night thinking, what more mess going to happen now? How will we ever get God's work done? He's going to do it. Now, if I don't straighten out and get a right mind about it, he'll move me aside and, and, and use someone else. But he's going to do what he said he's going to do. It's encouraging to know that God's work is not going to be grounded and canceled out by Anything else, whether it's outside or inside, God is going to continue to do what he said he is going to do, and he's going to continue to use his people to do that. Amen. Praise God. Don't you want to be one? Don't you realize that God can use you where you are? Don't you realize that you may have had some discord and you may have think that, 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 that the challenges that you face uh, are insurmountable, but God says, no, they're not. He says, I will and can use as I please, and I will accomplish what I said I will accomplish. Division, separation means multiplication to God. I'm going to multiply my glory and I'm going to use and accomplish my glory in ways that are totally amazing. Will yourself to God. Surrender yourself to God. Be encouraged in God because of what he's able to do with what, he, what he's working with. He truly is the creator. He truly is marvelous in his purpose and in his working out of that purpose. It causes us to be encouraged. Father, we thank you for your word today that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can stop your purpose and your mission, and you will do it. It's one of the things that Job had learned in all of his trial. He says, you can do all things. Nothing can thwart your purpose. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would make hearts right so that they're not succumbing to discouragement and the challenges that they face, but they're trusting in a holy, righteous Almighty, all-powerful, all-sovereign God who will accomplish his good purpose. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the encouragement that comes from that. We pray, Lord, that you would call us now to surrender to you, be willing to be used by you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.